we're going to the book of Luke, chapter 19. I want you to think with me, the Old Testament. The nation of Israel was led by uh, three distinct different people. Just, I, I, just in your mind, just if, you, if you've been in church for any length of time, you've probably heard this and understand this a little more. But in the Old Testament, there were prophets, and there were priests, and there were kings. So there were prophets. You've heard of Isaiah. You've heard of Jeremiah, perhaps. There were prophets, and, and God would use them to, to lead. Um, there were prophets. There were priests. Um, so there was a Samuel. We've, we used the book of Samuel uh, during the men's conference. Samuel was a priest, right? Uh, there were other priests that we read about. Jethro, the father-in-law of Moses, was a priest. So we know that priest. Prophet, priest, and then there's kings, King Saul, then King David. You might remember a couple weeks ago, I even put the list up there, and if you had really good eyesight, you could read that list that I put up there of all the different kings and, and the two, even the two split um, kingdoms. But anyhow, so you got, you got the, the, the kings. But in the Old Testament, hear me on this. This is, this is what I want, want you to get. In the Old Testament, there was never one person that fulfilled all three of those offices. But now you bring Jesus into this. And when we study the book, of Je- uh, the book of Jesus, when we study the life of Jesus in the Gospels, what do we see? We see Jesus fulfilling the role of a prophet, a priest, and a king. And this morning, I want to move those around a little bit, and I want to talk to you about our king riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. I want to talk to you about our prophet weeping over Jerusalem, crying over his nation. And I want to talk to you about a priest walking into the temple, cleansing it. Let's talk about that today. Let's talk about our king, a king worthy of majesty. And I I, I like the idea, even as the book of James kind of points, Jesus is a friend type thing. Uh, A few years ago, um, uh, there was a really popular t-shirt going around with all of our uh, movie stars and television stars and it looks something like this. Jesus is my homeboy. Now, I don't know if you ever bought one of those or not. But the fact of the matter is, um, Jesus is a friend that sticks closer than any brother. Jesus is a friend. But at the same time, let's make sure that, that we are, and I'm not slamming the makers of that t-shirt. I just want to make this point. He's our king. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's worthy of majesty. He's worthy of praise. Let's not forget that. Let's not forget that he is holy and only he. And he is so worthy of worship and of honor. And as we enter into our, our, the chapter we're focusing in here today, we're going to finish up Luke chapter 19. We get to verse 28, and look what it says. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. Can we stop? What did Jesus just say? As you read the previous uh, uh, verses, he was sharing that parable of the ten minas. We talked about it last week. If you missed it, go back and listen to it. In essence, Jesus was saying, hey, take your time, your talent, your treasure. Use it for my glory. Use it for, for the kingdom of God. And, and so they were, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. We're talking like a 4,000 feet in about 20 miles, 18 to 20 miles, from where he's coming out of Jericho and he's heading up into Jerusalem. And that 20, that's about a, a difference of, I'm, I'm told, of about 4,000 feet. So we're going uphill. And so he's, he's riding up to Jerusalem. Okay, look at verse 29. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. 
If anyone asks you why you are untying it, tell him the Lord needs it. Okay, let's stop for a second. Note it says this, um, two of his disciples. So it looks like there was just two of them, a couple of them. Jesus said, I want you to go take it. The interesting thing is, as you study the life of the disciples, and when I'm talking about disciples, I'm talking the 12. When you study the life of the 12 disciples, it's interesting to see them sometimes jab at each other, have some quarrels, and just, no, I think I'm going to sit at the right hand of Jesus. No, I'm going to be on his right hand. You're going to be on the left. And no, I'm going to sit in this part. And you see these little squabbles break out. And you just wonder, if you insert yourself into this text, if you insert yourself into this discussion, what would have they been talking about when suddenly Jesus says, okay, I want you to go, and um, I, I want you, pretty much Grand Theft is what I want you to do here. Grand Theft Auto, I want you to go take someone's donkey, someone's colt, um, take that, and just tell them that it's for the Lord and all's going to be good. Was there, was there any thought even of going into Jerusalem? Jesus, they would have been there, and they would have understood. Jesus, remember that time where you went into Jerusalem? You kind of, you walked, and then you just kind of slipped out. Maybe... You know, right now in, the, in this phase of Jesus' ministry, in fact, for several chapters now, um, the, the feeling there was a group, a large group of people that loved Jesus and started seeing this could very well be the Messiah. But then there was a larger group that started hating him, that wanted to crucify him, and they turned on him, and they were looking for any, any opportunity to turn on and to take Jesus and to kill him and take him out. Because he was, he was coming against the, uh, some of what the Pharisees and the Sadducees and even some in the, in the authorities in the Roman government, they didn't like him. Okay, so, so you just wonder if the, the disciples weren't like, hey, could we maybe just, this isn't really the best time for us to be going to Jerusalem, Jesus. Maybe, maybe we could just put some disguises on, glasses, nose, mustache. Could we, could we just kind of sneak in, sneak out, go kind of do what, celebrate Passover, lay low. Because there were, there were, I'm sure there was a feeling of, I'm not sure this is going to end well. I, I'm sure of it. I'm absolutely sure amongst the disciples there's this feeling, I'm not sure this is going to end well. And so as they approach Bethphage and Bethany, these are towns about one mile apart, situated on the Mount of Olives to the east of Jerusalem. And just a reminder, Bethany was the town where Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, the guy who Jesus called out of the grave, that's where they lived. So that's where the area that, where they were. And Jesus says, fellas, you two, I'm going to pull you out here. You two, come here. What I need you two to do is I need, I need you to call me an Uber. I need you to, except it's going to be a very special situation. It's going to be a donkey Uber, and you're going to go pick it up. It's not coming to you. you got to go get it. And so Jesus says, go get this donkey. It's not, it's not going to be any kind of a donkey. It's, it's going to be one that's unbroken. It's going to be a colt. It's never been ridden before. A donkey colt, as we see in the other gospel accounts of this occurrence, it tells us it is a donkey colt. And this is important. Why? Because it fulfills prophecy. You know, in 518 B.C., Zechariah prophesied this right here. Look on the screen, will you? Right here, Zechariah. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. 550-some years before Jesus did this, Zechariah, under the Spirit and the anointing of the Holy Spirit, prophesied this is the very thing that was going to happen. And so here we see it taking place. This is also, it's also important because Jesus is showing his power over creation, right? 
I mean, come on, just go with me for a second and think about, here's a, a donkey colt. Now, I've been to enough donkey basketball games that I know typical donkeys don't like to be ridden, right? And, and so, and so if, if that's kind of the way a typical donkey, imagine a colt who's never been sat on. I've never been around a donkey colt. Maybe you have. But imagine a donkey colt that's never been sat on. And what, what are we going to ask this colt to do? You know what? We want someone to sit on you for the very first time. And then we're going to take you through crowds of shouting people on both sides. And we're going to lay things out before you. And you're going to have to walk on top of those things. And Now you tell me that that alone wasn't a miracle. <laughs> that Jesus wasn't like, oh, oh. I mean, you, buck and bronco thing. No. The cult, Jesus had authority. Jesus, he showed his, his omniscience. He knew, he knew, he knows all things. He knew that there was gonna be a cult tied up there and that it was gonna, it was gonna work out. And in fact, I think one of the gospels even points to the fact that, um, um, that the explanation was, uh, we'll bring it back when we're done with it. And so, so it was good. Okay, so let me, let me bring up um, the first point I want you to fill. I think there's fill, fill in the blanks in your notes. Point number one that I want us to get from this passage. King Jesus wants to use your life. He's our king, he's our prophet, and he's our priest. We're going to talk about it in that order. But King Jesus, he wants to use your life. Uh, again, he, he chose two disciples and said, I want to use you, not just, I don't want to just use you. I don't want to just flow through you. I don't want to just use you to bring about the purposes that are set in my heart to do. But I want to do something supernatural through you. I want to see something unique happen. First notice, this is the only time up until this point. I mean, uh, uh, all you Bible scholars, which I'm looking at a room full of them right now. And uh, on the camera, I can see you sitting there. You're a Bible scholar. Just go back in your brain. Go through all the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that you've ever read, taught, um, been taught. Can you think of any time when Jesus said, I need something? Up until this point, I, mean, I can think of a, a few, uh, um, when he's on the cross, he said, I'm, I'm thirsty. Uh, uh, of course, that was a prophetic thing. But, but here, here, just get the, the irony of this. I, I don't know if irony is the right word, but... Here's the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who owns a cattle on a thousand hills, the scripture says, but he has a need. He has a need of a cult. Jesus could have just gone, like orchestrated it on his own that out of the woods came a cult that had never been ridden. <laughs> but no, there's a, there's a point I'm getting at here. Jesus wanted to use these two disciples to be a part of this supernatural act. You see, he's all-sufficient. Jesus is all-sufficient. He, he really needs no one and nothing, but he chooses, hear me, he chooses to use imperfect people like you and like me to accomplish his purposes and his, uh, his ministry. And I don't know about you, but that's pretty comforting to me. I mean, that's pretty amazing to me that God could just speak and do something, but he says, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to accomplish my purposes through people like you and me. He wants to use people, and sometimes we get in the way of the Lord using us because we have all these excuses, I'm not good at this, I'm not, I'm not good at that, but this whole story reminds us, get this, if God can use a donkey, he can use us, amen? If he can use a donkey to do the supernatural, if he can do, use a donkey, which we also see in the Old Testament, 
Balaam's donkey. We're not going to talk about that. But if, if God can use a donkey, then how much can we be assured of that he can use us to accomplish his purposes in, in, this, in this world? And get this, Jesus wants to use you to carry him into your school. He wants to use you to carry him into your workplace. Jesus wants to use you to carry him into the community. You get the correlation here? Jesus, King Jesus wants to use you. Just like he sat on that donkey and that donkey brought him into Jerusalem. He wants to sit on you. He wants to move on you. He wants to fill you with his, uh, with his cohort, the Holy Spirit. He wants to, everywhere you go, that we're taking Jesus into the, in the society into the marketplace. Do you get that? Jesus wants to use you. And we talked a lot about that last week, so I'm not going to spend any more time on that, but let's just, let's just be willing and say, God, here I am, here I am. You can have it all. We sang it this weekend. You can have it all, God. Use me in any way you desire. Second thing, fill this in your notes, will you? King Jesus knows what he's doing, even if I don't. That's a good place to say, ooh. King Jesus knows what he's doing, even if I don't. Even if I don't understand, even if I can't even see exactly how he's working, I can rest in him and know he's working all things for good, my good. Verse 32, those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he told them. Look at verse 33. As they were untying the colt, sure enough, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? Verse 34, they replied, the Lord needs it. And it was good. <laughs> that was pretty simple. But I don't know about you. If I were one of those disciples, um, I, I'd, I'd be a little more nervous to, to do what, what they were saying there. Can you imagine the conversation as those disciples were walking along? I mean, put yourself in their shoes. Especially I mean, in, in most marriages. I know some of you aren't married yet. Someday you'll get there for sure. But here's the deal. Um, in most marriages, there's typically a rule keeper and a rule breaker. <laughs> Don't point fingers when I talk about either one. But which one are you, a rule keeper or a rule breaker? And I, I'm kind of the guy that's kind of the rule keeper. I, I, it makes me really nervous when we step outside of the line, just like, no, this is what we're supposed to do. Now, um, now uh, my wife, I'm not saying she's a, a rule breaker, but she likes to color outside of the lines a little more than me and kind of and, and forge the, her own way. And it's been really good for this little guy to, 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 to have that as well. And I like, to, I like to think that there are times when I've kept her from harm. Um, but, but listen, um, can you imagine if you were a rule keeper, one of those disciples that Jesus chose, and you're like, and you're walking along with the other disciples like, Okay, now, are you sure? And, and what if you're a detail person? And you're like, now he said, as you're coming into the, the village, it'll be there. Now, is it going to be an alley? I, I, do you think someone's going to be standing there holding? Do you, it's going to be tied up somewhere. Will it be tied up to a tree or to this or that? Or do you think we'll have to go into the, the, the barn or the shed or where will it all be? And, and then there's always that other person says, I don't know. Let's just, I don't know. Just, just do what he said and let's just see what happens. And that's pretty much what they did. But imagine the nervousness and, and all the anxiety. But, but this is what I want to remind you. King Jesus knew what he was doing, even though the disciples didn't. I remember one time, I couldn't help but to think of this story. In fact, often when I read this, this passage, I think of this story. Um, this event in my lifetime, my aunt and uncle, they owned a grocery store. 
um, for a short while. And I'll never forget, I, I, I went to hang out with them for the day. I don't remember, I spent the night, whatever, I was just a little guy. And I was playing with my cousins or whatever. And, and one day, we walked downtown uh, uh, to that grocery store in Millersburg. And we went in there, and I thought this was crazy because, you know, when, when your uncle and your aunt run the place, you know, they, they, there's kind of a feeling of, wow, these guys are important, and I know them, you know. It's, it's that type of thing. But next thing I know, my aunt tells my cousins... Hey, if all of you want to grab uh, like a lollipop from the, the candy display, just grab one and, and we'll go. And, and I thought, that's a, and she said, I could have one too. And so I grabbed one and we all grabbed one and we're walking back to their house and, and, um, and about halfway back, I don't remember which one of my cousins it was. I think it maybe it was Brian. I don't know. Um, but dropped their lollipop. And it's like, what are we going to do now? And he started crying. And, throwing, and so my Aunt Jean, she turned to me. She said, Scott, go back to the grocery store and get another one for him. And I'm thinking, okay, I'll do that. We'll meet you at home. Okay. So I'm walking back. And suddenly, the closer I got, the more nervous I got. I was like, wait a minute. I have no authority. I, this wasn't what I was thinking. But who am I to walk in there and grab a sucker and just leave and not pay for it or anything? I, I don't own this. I, I don't run this place. I'm not in charge. And the closer I got, the more nervous I got. What if the cash register lady is a different lady and she doesn't recognize that I was with my aunt and the people who, and I, and I started getting all nervous. And you know that time, I, what is his name, Ralphie on the Christmas story when he finally gets to Santa's lap and he's... <laughs> And it's all just kind of building up. And he's like, I'm going to Red Rider. That's exactly what it was like. I walked in the grocery store and I grabbed a, a sucker, a, a, a life on. I was like, and I, 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 Gina Larry, I invoked the name of those who are in authority. And they're like, yeah, that's fine. And I, and I ran back to my aunt and uncle's house. Why did that work out okay? I mean, I thought I was going to be the only eight-year-old in, in the jailhouse at Millersburg Police Department. If they have one, I don't even know. Um, I thought for sure I was going to be locked up, taken in cuffs, and for stealing that lollipop, which I had authority. Here's, here's the thing. I had the authority of someone higher to come in and grab that. And so that's, that's, that's what I, I want to encourage you guys with. King Jesus knows what he's doing. And if he puts something on your heart, ours is not to question. Ours is just to be obedient. If we know this is something from the Lord and God's moved on our hearts, we, he's in charge. We need to trust him even when we don't. You see, Jesus' knowledge of what would happen demonstrated he's all-knowing. He's omniscient. He knew all that, that, that was going to go on. And he was just asking those disciples, would you just be obedient and trust me? I'm in authority in this situation. It's going to work out. And faith is, and that's really what faith is. Faith is often going without knowing. Now that might be worth writing down on your notes. I'm just telling you. Faith is often going without knowing. And faith means that I'm just going to trust, Lord, that you're going to at least show me the next step. Oh, don't get me wrong. I'm going to pray, Lord, would you show me the path and how do I get to where I know you want us to get? Show me every step of the way. Lord, I'm praying, I'm asking you. But often what I see happen is the Lord says, just trust me with this next step. When, when you think about um, Abraham in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8, check this out real quick. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went 
even though he didn't know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promises. It was by faith. With faith, we take that one step that the Lord shows us, and we trust him. Those disciples said, I don't know how this is all going to work out, but Jesus said it. He's in authority. I'm going to obey. I'm going to trust him. Let me ask you something. Have you ever felt the Lord lead you in a way that you had complete peace about, but you didn't understand? has, Has that ever happened to you? Because I don't think we should ever discount godly wisdom. In fact, I think most of the time, the Lord leads us and directs us with godly wisdom. I know some charismatic Pentecostal people, well, bless God, the more stupid it sounds, the more the Lord's in it. It must be God, because this is ridiculous. I think your theology is a little skewed, but at the same time, I think you got a slight point. Because I think we ought to use great wisdom, seek godly counsel from others, but ultimately, there are, hear me, when you're in a decision about a job, when you're in a decision about a house, a decision about uh, large, small things in your life, there's gonna be times where the decision that you feel complete peace about it's maybe not gonna look like the wisest thing. Every once in a while, that's gonna happen. In this situation, it happened. I, I think about, I opened the front door, this is 10, 15 years ago, and, and I opened the front door, and there's a guy from our church, they've moved away since, but um, great, great family, great guy, and uh, he's bawling. <laughs> and um, you know, you don't get a whole lot of knocks on your door. And here's someone from the church bawling, but instantly I saw this wasn't a hurt thing. This was the Holy Spirit's moving on me thing. I was like, I said his name. I said, what's going on? He said, God's just been speaking to me. I shared it with my wife, and I've got to give this this check to to you, and and this is is where it's got to go. And I was like, oh, to me? No, it's to the church, so just relax. That's what he meant. I got to give this check to the church. He, He began to tell me the story how the Holy Spirit moved on him to empty his savings account. Empty his savings account. And he had some significant cash in there, and we were raising funds for a certain project at that time. And he said, and with just bawling his eyes out, he's like, this isn't like me. This is, I mean, he's very, a, very, a very successful business person, very successful in what he did and, and whatever, and in his job, and he still is, and he's serving the Lord still. But for him to empty out his savings and hand me a check, which I would just encourage you, especially if it's a large check, just drop it in the mail, put it in a black box. Don't necessarily give it to me. That just doesn't look very good. But um, at that point, yeah, the pastor's carrying around checks from people in the church. No, 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 especially cash. It makes me very nervous because I, I want to stay, stay clear of that. But, but he handed me that check. He's like, I don't even know. All he knew was he had to take that first step. And he just, he knew God, would, and he did that. And I can tell you this, the rest of the story is the Lord took care of him, the Lord blessed, whatever. When we went to start this church, if uh, wisdom would say 20 years ago, look around, how many good churches are there? How many churches are there in Middlebury? How many churches are there in driving distance? Does Middlebury need another church 20 years ago? And there were people that would say, no, they don't. I had people say that to my face. Some lovingly, some because they just didn't like us. But did Middlebury need another church? And wisdom from some even godly counsel, maybe some ungodly, wisdom would be, 
man, there's enough churches here. I'm not sure we need to, is this really wise? But you know what we couldn't get around? Is we had, we had the, the word of the Lord and we had great peace in our heart that I know this might not seem like the greatest uh, uh, thing in some people's eyes, but we knew God had led us and called us to do this. And I think the, the 20 years later, we can look back and say, I'm so glad we did. When I look and see all the lives that have been touched through the ministry of this church, not bragging on me, I'm bragging on God. It's, we didn't, I could see, I could see, I could see how the Lord could use this church in this community. I could see all the way down there, and I knew we were standing here, and God was calling us, but I had no idea all these steps of how we were going to get to where we're at today. But the Lord did. You take that first step. Some of you, when you started your business, when you started that new job, when you entered out in that career, you know what I'm talking about. Some people said, this is either the most exciting time of your life and the most exciting step you've ever taken in your career, or it's the dumbest thing you've ever done, right? But you felt in your heart, this was, this was a God thing, so I'm gonna take There are times there are times when you're not going to understand, but just know this. If you've got the peace of God in your heart, King Jesus knows what's going on. You can rest in him, rest in his direction, even when you don't completely understand. And you know, in, in verse 35, they brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. Let's keep reading. As he went along, people spread the cloaks on the road. And when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mountain of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Let me tell you number three. Fill this in. King Jesus is worthy of praise. King Jesus is worthy of praise. God's long-awaited Messiah had finally come, and he deserved all the glory and all the honor. Let me just tell you, they, they, let's, let's get something here, and then we're going to move on. But everyone listen to me. They, they threw their, coat, their cloaks before Jesus. Why would they do that? Well, this is something that they did also in 2 Kings chapter 9. You can read about it. But it's, it's a humility thing. It's a thing of, I am so much below you. I, I honor you. I esteem you as so much higher than me. I am, I'm so, in fact, I'd get down on one knee right now, but I'm a little sore from yesterday. So we had an absolute blast at the men's conference this weekend. Archery tag, if you ever get a, a, a shot to play that, you need to do it. That was some of the most fun I've had in a long time, but I'm just a little sore. So if I, if I went down on one knee, I might not get back up. So I just pretend that I'm when you lay your cloaks, you're bowing your knee down before. When, you, when they laid those cloaks out before the, the donkey and Jesus to walk on, it was a sign of worship. It was a sign of humility. It was a sign of, I, I honor you and I bring myself so low before you that I'm willing for you to walk on me. And some of you say, no one's ever going to walk on me. And even as we hear that, that's the problem in your walk with the Lord. Because you've never come to understand the importance and the appropriateness of his sovereignty over your life. And that if he doesn't have it all, he doesn't have you. And so when we see that they laid those cloaks out before 
before Jesus as, he's, as he's, the donkey's coming along. That's a sign of humility and of worship. Our king is worthy of worship. Appropriate worship is not defined by you. It's defined by him. And he's the king. Are you willing to take your life, take your coat, and declare it's not my will, but it's yours to be done, God? Many in the crowd had heard of or had seen Jesus and were hoping he would, he would even come to the temple. People lined the roads, and Jesus is, uh, already had, had people that were coming with him. It was, it was Passover season, so Jerusalem was packed full, starting to get packed full of people. As people were coming with Jesus, there were those in front of Jesus, and somehow word had gotten out, here comes King Jesus. He's riding through. John, uh, the Gospel of John chapter 12 also describes people cutting down branches from trees, probably from olive or fig trees, and they're waving them. as a, a way of welcoming him. Jesus approached Jerusalem fearlessly, knowing what was waiting for him there. He knew he was getting ready to give his life for the ransom of all of our souls. He was gonna raise again, but he knew the excruciating pain he was gonna have to go through to die on the cross for you and me. But he, he approached there. He didn't sneak in there. He didn't put the mask on with the big nose and the mustache. He's saying, no, I'm coming in. And they're worshiping him. They're adoring him. Verse 39, he, he's worthy of being worshiped. Let's go to verse 39. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, these stones are gonna cry out. The Pharisees were offended by people offering such worship. They wanted him to stop. But Jesus assured the Pharisees that if this crowd remained silent, these very rocks of these walls of these cities, Jerusalem was a, was a walled city, and if these people don't worship me, I'm telling you, those rocks are going to. Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 11 prophesied the judgment of God upon Judah just before the fall of Jerusalem to the Babylonians in 586 B.C. And this is what it said in verse 11. The stones of the wall will cry out and the beams of the woodwork will echo it. So Jesus' words may have a double meaning. Praise for the true Messiah could not be stopped. And I'm just telling you, I, I have concerns about religious freedom in our country and the future of religious freedom. But mark the word of God. <laughs> Praise of our God, the gathering of believers cannot be stopped. It will not be stopped. You can't stop it. In, in, in the words of the prophet M.C. Hammer, you can't touch this. You can't touch this. You can't touch God and the worship of Almighty God. It will continue. It will never stop. But then also the stones of the walls would bear witness to the city's rejection of the Messiah and their downfall, we'll talk about that in, 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 even right now as we talk about, real quickly, our prophet weeping over the city. In fact, number four, fill this in, prophet Jesus weeps over the city. Do I? I'm not calling myself a prophet, but I'm just saying the past couple of days, my heart has just been so broken for our nation. And unfortunately, it came out a few moments ago as, as we watched that patriotic video. I love this nation, I love this state. I love this community, and I want to see God move, and I want to see uh, his kingdom come and his will be done, and I've got a pretty good idea how I think it needs to happen, <laughs> and so when it doesn't happen that way, you know, it's frustrating, it's overwhelming, but here's what I want to ask you. Do you have a heart for the city? You know, it's not by chance that you were born in the United States of America, most of you. 
It's not by chance that God has put you in the United States of America, that he's put you in Indiana, that he's put you in Elkhart County, Steuben County, uh, LaGrange County, St. Joe County, whatever county uh, up in Michigan you're in. It's not by chance that he's put you here in this place right now. Have you allowed God to give you a heart for your own nation and the people of your own nation? Jesus understood what the people of Jerusalem were missing due to their disobedience. He began to prophesy future events that would take place. But remember 2 Peter. Peter pointed this out in his, in his letter, chapter 3, verse 9. Look at this. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, or some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That's the heart of Christ. And as he's, as he's riding into Jerusalem, let's look at it. Verse 41, he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city, and he wept over it. And he said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They'll dash you to the ground, you and your children within your walls. They'll not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Only Luke records the weeping of Jesus at this point. The timing of his weeping is interesting in that it's, it's, it's teamed up with the triumphal entry, the excitement, the crowds. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they turn that corner. They come around that one hill. And all of a sudden, there's the city. And Jesus is overcome. And, 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 and the, the feeling you get is, is uh, less of a celebration, but a mourning Savior, a mourning prophet, as he begins to prophesy, this is what's getting ready to happen. If only the inhabitants of Jerusalem would have accepted him nationally, they could have known peace, but they would reject him, and Jerusalem failed to recognize her Messiah even when he was in their midst. God forbid that we work with, we live with our neighbors, we serve in the community with people that fail to recognize Jesus for who he really is. It ought to break us. It ought to send us to weeping. If the people had known on this day that Jesus was, if they would have just known what was happening and had recognized it for what it was, they could have found peace. If, if anyone in our country is looking for peace and hope from a government system, it's never going to happen. The only real true peace comes from who we know, Jesus Christ, putting our faith and our hope in him. And they refuse God's offer, and historians tell us this, truth A.D. 70, Jerusalem was surrounded. And, and it was in the month of April of A.D. 70 that they began cutting off all supplies, trapping thousands of people. There was thousands of people there at that season for the Passover. Jesus said, this is what's going to happen. He's prophesying right here. This is what's going to happen. And sometime later, in AD 70, it's exactly what happened. All these people are there for the Passover, Feast of Unleavened Bread. The Romans systematically built embankments around the city, and gradually they starved the city's inhabitants because they ran out of food. They couldn't get food in there. The Romans systematically built these embankments. The Romans held the city in this manner through all through the summer defeating various sections of the city one by one until they finally overthrew the city, and that, that happened in September. So from April to September, 
What did that look like? The Romans utterly demolished the city, the temple, the residence, the people. Men and women and children were brutally slaughtered by the tens of thousands. The few survivors were carried off to become victims of the Roman circus games and the gladiatorial bouts. Jerusalem's utter destruction was divine judgment for their failure to recognize and embrace their Messiah when he visited them. Now, I want to be very clear. I'm not saying that whatever we're going to see um, in this season in the history of our, our nation is God's judgment. It could be. I don't know. I think we need to be careful that when, you, when we read scriptures like, um, if my people who are called my name, my, my, my name will humble themselves and turn from their wicked ways, and when we, that he's talking about the church. Well, really, literally, he's talking about, but the way that we would take that in today's, today's day, it's not so much America as much as if the church, his people, if God's people would humble ourselves. And so I, I can tell you this. I don't know what's gonna happen in our nation, but I can tell you this, without any fluff, without any lying with a completely straight heart, I have all the hope in the world that Jesus is on the throne and that Jesus is gonna get us through this and that in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. You're gonna have trouble, we're gonna have trouble. There may be some trouble we're gonna face over the next few years that's gonna be different than what we've ever faced before, but I can promise you this, I have all the hope in the world that Jesus is gonna walk with us through this. But I just wanted to clarify, I'm not declaring that this scripture, the judgment that's gonna fall on Jerusalem is parallel to the United States of America. But I just wanna make sure you grab that. Our king came riding in on a donkey, our priest comes prophesying, and then we see our, uh, we see our high priest, Jesus. Our priest is cleansing God's temple. Look at number five. Our high priest, Jesus, is still wanting to cleanse us, his temple. In fact, worship team, would you come? As they come, would you just listen? Listen up here, follow me. This is the second time that Jesus cleared the temple. Do you realize that? He did it towards the beginning of his ministry and then he did it here. What's the significance of the cleansing of the temple, the clearing of the temple? Can I just share this with you and then we're gonna close in prayer. But here's the deal. Whenever every male Jew was required to come to Jerusalem during the Passover and there was some other feasts and some other celebrations that they would come. And they would bring their sacrifice with them. And I, I usually, when I say they bring their sacrifice with them, I put my arm out like this. I'm not really sure why, other than I just picture myself carrying a lamb with me. Why I would carry the lamb, I don't know. Why I would not just wrap a rope around his neck and pull the lamb, I don't know. But anytime I say they brought their worship with them, you're gonna see me do one of these, that's what that means. So you bring your worship with you. You go back to the Old Testament, uh, Deuteronomy, and, and, and the law specifically from the very beginning, listen to me, it, that was explicit. You bring your worship with you. Well, some of the priests were like, as, as, as the population begins to spread out, and people are farther and farther and farther away coming on foot or whatever to Jerusalem for these feasts. It's going to be kind of hard to bring some cattle or some sheep or some whatever it is that you need. So I'm, I understand that on the Mount of Olives, not far, they, they would set up a, a market, several markets. And the priest blessed this and said, if you're traveling from afar, come. Because there was even times when people would go in and say, okay, Mr. Priest, here's my animal. And the priest would say, are you kidding me? This thing's got a spot on it. You thought this was, do you not see that this thing has a little sickness? It has a disease. 
you can't do this. And so what, the people can't have a sacrifice? Well, no. So what they would do is uh, the priest said, well, go out here and, and purchase out here at the market, purchase another one and bring it. But the, the challenge was, I understand, even in that market, and eventually they got to the point where they put it in the court of the Gentiles, in the temple itself. And so in the temple itself, the court of the Gentiles, Gentiles aren't Jews, remind you, so there's only a certain place the Gentiles could go. And so in their court, the, the priests sanctioned that, okay, we can have a market in the temple. Now, some people would say Jesus went in there, turned over the tables, and uh, took those out. In fact, let's read it. When he entered the temple area, verse 45, and began driving out those who were selling, it is written, he said to them, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Every day he was teaching at the temple, but the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the leaders among the people were trying to kill him. Yet that they could not find any way to do it because all the people uh, hung, hung on his words. So some people would say that the priests were wrong in allowing any kind of a, a, a thing other than what was prescribed to happen, and, and uh, let alone in the temple. So Jesus went in and turned over those tables and said, come on, we gotta, this is nuts. You guys are cheapening. And others would say it really wasn't the fact that the priest gave the blessing for, other, uh, for people to come, merchants to come and to sell. The problem was is they were raising the price. I mean, think if you've ever been to a theme park, specifically Disney, and you pay five bucks for a Coke, uh, or even go to a restaurant, and if you own a restaurant, please don't take, hold this against me, all right? But you go to some restaurants, and, and you know, you're just like, yeah, I'd like a Coke Zero if you have it. There's only a precious few that do. But Coke Zero is the drink of choice, please. We have Diet Coke, all right. We have Diet Pepsi. <laughs> do you have a Coke Zero? Yes. How much will I pay for that? 350, you know, or for whatever it is. It's like, I mean, so, but you're stuck, you gotta drink something. You're either stuck drinking water like your wife wants you to, or, or, or which I've done more of that, but, or you, you pay the money to do that. You're at the temple, you're stuck. The priest just said, the lamb you brought is, isn't spotless. You got issues with it. Or you, you, didn't, you didn't bring one with you, you gotta buy one, so you're stuck. Okay, so what they would do is they drive the price up. And Jesus said, it, you're, you're perverting what worship was meant to be. You guys, either way, either way, the reason for it being there, either way, here's the important thing. It's G Jesus said, you guys are a bunch of, you're perverting worship here. And he went and he cleared that all out. And in the same way, God wants to clear our hearts of sin. And I think it's important, even as we took communion today, that we remember regularly, it's good to search our hearts. Because we are now the temple of the Holy Spirit, Right? Individually, corporately, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit resides in us. And so it's good that we would search our own heart. And is there any way that, like those merchants in the temple, is there any way that we're cheapening our worship? So Jesus told them. In fact, here's, here's a righteous anger. He's, he quoted Isaiah 56, 7, explaining... God's purpose for the temple was, was not this perverse worship. It was to be a place of prayer, not this den of thieves. And so Jesus took care of that. And I, I hope every one of you would join me today and say, Jesus, do the same in my heart. Would you come in and is there anything in my heart? In fact, would you stand with me right now? Could you just begin to think? Just begin to think right now. Those of you at home, I want you to join me. I want you to begin to think, is there anything in my heart God, would you search me? Is there anywhere in my heart that I'm, I'm, 
I'm just like those merchants at the temple because I'm, I'm, I've got the wrong motives. I've got the wrong ideas. And maybe we need to repent of that. Every believer in this room, we need to spend time from time to time on a regular basis searching our own hearts and seeing, is there, is there something I'm left left I just it's still there and I need I need to deal with that also as we respond to this message I just really felt this morning as I was in my office I was like Lord how how can I close out this service what do we need to focus on in prayer but just this idea that King Jesus knows what he's doing even if I don't and there's there's some of you you're at a point right now of making some decisions and you you if if you're going to get there. If you're not there already, let me just tell you, I believe you're going to get there and you're going to feel peace about the situation. And it lines up, what you're, what you're looking at lines up with scripture. And you may look at it though and still have questions. You're still not sure exactly how all this is going to turn out, but you have absolute peace about this decision. It lines up with scripture. It's, it's, it lines up with the word because we know God would never lead you to do something that doesn't line up with scripture. So it lines up with scripture. I have a peace about it. There might even be others that tell you, ah, I'm not sure. Uh, I don't know about that. But what, what I encourage you today, what the Lord would say to you, is just trust him. As he's leading you, you trust him. Put your faith in him. King Jesus knows what he's doing, even if I don't.